welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. You guys ready for this? Ready? Okay. Um, uh, I tell you what, I've been chomping at the bit all week for, for this week. I'm really, really excited about this. Um, so if you have a Bible, uh, you're going to want to turn to 1 Kings, 1, uh, 1, 1 Kings 19. If you don't, there are some Bibles back here. Uh, before we jump into that, uh, quarterly, um, instead of having quarterly meetings kind of after the gathering, we have decided we'll have one kind of yearly annual meeting that'll be, you know, sort of budget and all that kind of stuff. And uh, if, if uh, and that happens, I think in May or uh, May, and then quarterly, we'll do these kind of rep- just updates. So um, I want to take a few minutes. Uh, if you're new to Awaken, um, well, welcome. You, you, get, you get sort of the, uh, the full look here. So, um, but our hope for these times is really to give you guys a snapshot, is just as far as um, the financial life of Awaken, how we're doing, what God's up to, uh, and some of those kinds of things. So I want to show you just a couple of things. Uh, and then if you have any questions, feel free. This is a, we want this to be interactive. If there's something that's not clear, uh, this is your church. This is our church. So jump in or ask a question. Uh, so a couple of things that you should know. Awaken is a covenant church plant. So we're part of the evangelical covenant denomination. Um, the covenant plants churches in a three-year time span. So we are two and a half years into our church plant experience uh, we started July of 2010. Um, one of the things you'll notice up here the, is, is called appropriations. It's the dark middle, I guess it's the middle orange color. Appropriations are um, monies that we receive from our supporting sending church, which is Berean Baptist Church. That's a cool story. Uh, and then the covenant denominations. So these are monthly appropriations that we get uh, in, in this three-year window. These decrease um, every six months. And so January 1st, we just had our last kind of bump down. And so that, um, those funds went from 3200 a month to 2900 a month. And those funds are basically done in uh, July 1st of this coming summer. So if you're kind of putting the pieces together, our hope and our goal is to essentially um, uh, be at a place in July where our regular tithes and offerings that come in here on Sundays or online um, are able to support the ministry that we've got going here at Awaken, that that God's got going here at Awaken. So um, uh, decoding this map here, yellow on the bottom is just tithes and offerings. So whatever goes in the buckets on Sundays or whatever comes in online is the yellow stream there. Above that is the appropriations, and you'll notice it's kind of decreases right at the end there. That's that step down every six months. Um, and the, the purple line there is um, our budgeted uh, expenses, which end up being about it's a little under 15000 a month. So that takes care of everything that we do at Awaken, from staff to uh, this building and the, the space next door to any missional activity that we do outside of this place, uh, life groups, all that kind of stuff. That's all in our budgeted expenses, and that's that purple line. So again, the hope is that by July, the yellow is consistently at or above the purple line. Uh, and that would be our community supporting what, what God's doing here at Awaken. Um, just uh, I want to highlight the, the dark orange in those two spots. Um, God just blessed this community with some gifts, some one-time gifts. We, we had a couple of rough spots uh, a little while ago and seemed like uh, people responded. Uh, a number of those gifts come, came from people within this community who gave over and above what they normally would give. Uh, a number of them came from outside, which is, I think, just so cool. Parents who would come to me and say, my kids have found a home at Awaken, and it's, um, it's really, really meaningful to them, and so it's meaningful to us. And they just blessed us with some, with some pretty amazing gifts. So that's what that orange is there, and the light blue on top is kind of attendance, and that tracks on the right. So that's just a snapshot of where we're at. At this point right now, we have like, I think, $40,000 in the bank. 
Um, one of the things that we wanted to do, a goal that we had this year was to get out of debt. Uh, we received some money from the conference to start Awaken, and that, uh, praise the Lord, has been paid off. And so we're kind of uh, full face forward to whatever God is up to. Um, the advisory team that kind of helps oversee this is trying to figure out like what's fiscally responsible to have in reserve, uh, and then how can we use the rest of that for mission and for new things that God's doing at Awaken. So that's a snapshot. Are there any questions or anything that's not clear with this? First hour was cricket, so I, either I'm just that good or, yeah, Luke. Um, it, it eventually, essentially it goes to things outside of this community. Um, we would love to get to the point where, or, or we would like to increasingly be uh, above that so that more of what comes in can go out. Uh, the nature of what we're doing in some ways requires a, a certain percentage of uh, finances that, and I like to, I honestly, I like to think about it as we've purchased leadership in particular areas that we deem to be important instead of, oh, this percent goes to staffing and this percent goes to our building. Um, so, does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, Alex. Does pledge? Yes. Yep. That's a good question. 15% um, of our tithes and offerings, so 15% of the yellow, the bottom yellow, goes uh, back to um, planting new churches in the covenant. 5% of it goes to s brand new church plants. So, um, Next year, people like us will be able to do what they're doing because we've been faithful in that way. Uh, so 5% goes to ch new church plants, 5% goes to world, uh, Covenant World Missions, and we're in the process of actually trying to determine like a particular um, group or something that's happening in a specific area. We can actually designate that fund. So we'd like to find something that kind of is in, in step with who we are and what we're doing so we can designate that, and then 5% goes to the Covenant denomination and, and the things that happen there. So good question. Ed. July 1st. Yep. Yep. Uh, no, it's June 30th. They end. So July 1st is our first month without appropriations. And does it look like to this graph, it looks like we're doing well? Yeah. Um, November and December, October, November, and December uh, were great uh, as far as giving and people uh, engaging in that respect at Awaken. So um, it's a little, uh, I, would, I would say um, it's a little early to say this is a trend that we're seeing continued over months and months. But yes, uh, the last couple of, the last quarter was fantastic. People, lots of new people are getting involved financially, which is great. So, other questions? Anything else? Okay. Um, I want to do one other thing that involves three people. Uh, one of them is Lane. Uh, some of you know you may have gotten a, a letter or a link that you read a letter this last week about... Uh, um, Lane's involvement at Awaken. He was uh, an intern from Bethel that was participating in our, our life together. Uh, that internship has ended, and uh, sometimes in an internship you find that, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. Is the power going out? Okay, I saw lights go off over there. Uh, so I thought, wow, this will be interesting. Um, and sometimes, you know, in an internship you find that actually, no, uh, I'm, I want to head in a little bit different direction. And so with Lane, that, the latter of those has been the case. Um, and so he's kind of changing directions. And we just wanted to say publicly, like, we support Lane, we love Lane, we appreciate what Lane has invested in our community. Uh, and so we wanted to, to do that publicly. Um, also, uh, many of you know Toph and Ben. Uh, part of our journey as a new church plant is, like, figuring out... Um, how to do things, and a lot of these things are new to us, so how do we identify and how do we 
you know, recognize people who are pastoring in our community other than outside of me. Uh, and we've talked a lot about that, and I think uh, what we, the conclusion we've come to is we want to just bring Toph and Ben up front and recognize uh, and affirm the gifts that they have um, to shepherd and to pastor and, uh, in this community, and we want to pray for them and with them. So I'm going to ask Ben and Toph and Lane if you guys would come on down here. And if, you are, if there's anybody on the advisory team or the core team, if you want to come on up, and we'll just lay hands on these guys and pray for them, pray with them. And the rest of you, if you want to stand in solidarity or sit where you are, whatever, uh, whatever works is cool. Um, the tricky part is these two are also on the core team. So most of the core team is standing here, but <laughs> Michaela and Roger. So can we, would you join, join us as we pray uh, with and for these guys? God, I want to thank you for Lane. I thank you for his investment at Awaken. Uh, we thank you for his voice over the last year or so, and uh, all the things that he's been involved in. Um, God, I'm grateful for the, the ways that you're moving in his heart and in his life, and we want to stand with him and behind him and uh, as, as those who support and just cheerlead um, for him and what you're up to in his life. And so we affirm that, and we just bless him today, God. I uh, thank you for Toph and his pastoral heart. Uh, thank you for all of the ways that he has been involved in this community and has led and has led well. God, we uh, together as a community, we affirm the gifts uh, that you have given him, and we want to raise them up and ask that you would bless them and anoint them, God, that they would uh, lead to, to more and uh, significant influence and change in our community at Awaken and, and uh, around this neighborhood. Uh, God, we thank you for Ben and uh, his uh, prophetic voice that he gives to our experience when we gather. Um, God, I want to uh, affirm that, and uh, we want to say thank you, and uh, we want to say bless these guys. Uh, bless them in their efforts and the work of their hands, we pray. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. I'll just unplug everything here. Okay. First Kings chapter 19. Like I said, I was, I've been really excited about this today. Uh, all week long, I've been just raring to go. Uh, okay. We're going to start by reading the text. This is really profound. We're going to read it. So, if you would, uh, join me in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, <clears throat> how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. Remember that word. He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up, and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, which also means the sword or destruction. That's my commentary there. It's probably not in your text. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. 
And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This might ring some bells. There might be another story that sounds eerily similar to this one. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He's got this rehearsed. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, to, uh, whatever that last name is, to succeed you as prophet. It's his last name, of course, right? First and last we get. Jehu will be put to death. Any, is, any who escaped by the sword of uh, Ahazel and Elisha will put, be put to death. Any who escaped by the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Pray with me. God, would you bless our time as we study your word? Would you, uh, would you use the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart uh, to speak something that um, is more than I can do, more than uh, I'm able? So take these words, take our time, take our hearts, God, and speak, uh, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is an unbelievable story, one of my favorites in the Bible. Uh, there are a little history as we get into this. About 150 years have passed from the time of Saul, who was the first king of Israel, to the time of Elisha. Elisha's a prophet. When he prophesies, he's prophesying when a guy named King Ahab is in the throne. So about 1020 B.C. Uh, is Saul, about 870 B.C. is Ahab. Um, remember that Israel begins with monotheism. The single worship of Yahweh, the one true God, which is a bombshell on the landscape of their context and culture. Uh, 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 their neighboring nations, like the idea of one God and this God being in relationship with this, this group of people is absolutely crazy uh, compared to all of the other nations of the ancient Near East. King Ahab, it says in chapter 16, that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So Ahab is one of the kings of the 10 tribes of the north that they call Israel. There were eight kings between him and Saul. The scripture says that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any before him. So essentially, he's the worst that they have seen thus far. Consequently, there's a famine and a drought in the land, and actually, Elisha gets blamed for it, or Elijah gets blamed for it. He's off in the wilderness, off in the desert, and if you know the story, he gets fed by ravens. It sounds like an Edgar Allan Poe you know, poem or something. He gets fed by ravens, and then this, you know, this widow, who's kind of off in this distant you know, corner of the kingdom, and uh, her son dies, Elijah resurrects him, brings him back to life. Which comes to chapter 18, where he meets this guy named Obadiah. He's one of the king's court, one of the men in the king's court. Nobody can find Elisha, but the king's all bent out of shape because he thinks that he's responsible for the drought and the famine. So, Elisha comes to Obadiah and says, listen, tell the king, give him a message, tell him Elijah's back. 
That sounds like a good, you know, like rap song or something. Elijah's back. Elijah's back in town. And Obadiah's like, listen, I don't know if that's a good idea. I mean, if the, the, we're looking for you. And if I go to the king and say, oh, guess what? I've got Elijah. I found him. I know where he is. He might kill me. He finally tells him, Elijah and King Ahab meet up. And it's this epic moment, right? Uh, uh, Elijah is like, listen, this is it. This is, this, is the, this is ancient Near Eastern trash talking smackdown right here. He says, okay, here's the deal. It's, it's Yahweh or it's Baal. Like right here, right now, bring it, go big or go home. And there's this epic showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of Yahweh in chapter 18. Now, of course, if you know the story, fire comes down from the sky, right? Like they pour all this water on the altar and the bulls and fire comes down from the sky and consumes the altar and all of the prophets of Baal. It's bonkers. One might think that that's kind of like the epicenter of the text or the pinnacle of it. I want to suggest a different possibility and it's found in verse 21 of chapter 18. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. And in the next line, it's like crickets. But the people said nothing. Gang, these are the people of God. These are the Israelites. These are the people who were enslaved in Egypt and brought out of Egypt by the, the one true God through the Red Sea into the land. This is God's group of people. This is the nation of Israel. And they're presented with, if, if it's Yahweh, worship him. And if it's Baal, worship him. And they say nothing. Israel is so confused as to who they are that they have forgotten their name. They have forgotten the God who they worship. And in this series we've been in, Eat This Book, we've been working with this idea of Egypt and exile, which is more than just a place, but it's when you forget your name. It's when you forget who you are and where you've come from. And it's when you chase things that will not satisfy Somebody came up to me a couple weeks ago and they said, this is my year. This is my year to get out of Egypt. Which for whatever reason is landing in this community. This morning I want to highlight a couple of truths from this story. There are many and it's an amazing story, but I want to highlight a couple. And the first side, maybe you could say it this way. Faith is learned and lived in the everyday. Think about Elijah's progress here. Chapter 18, 22, Elisha says, I am the only one left. Like of all the Israelites, of all the prophets, it's me and me alone and I'm the only one left here, right? I mean, this is like a serious situation of desperation. The, the, Yahweh's people and I'm the only one. It's like as low as you can get, right? The valley of the shadow of death. Like this is where Elijah is. And then the next chapter Fire comes down from the sky and consumes the altar and all these people. Like, this is a pretty good day for a prophet, right? I mean, they chalk that one up as a good day. Fire coming down from the sky. So it's like the lowest of the low and then the highest of the high, fire comes down from the sky. And then in the next chapter, the, queen, the, the, the king's wife Jezebel says, you are a dead man, essentially, to where we find Elisha fleeing in the desert and praying for death. Like, just end it. Like, I have nothing to live for. Like, here, and then here, and fire in the sky, and like, the whole deal, fireworks, the, you know, lights, the camera action, here. Sounds a bit like a Christian conference to me. <laughs> right? I mean, I've been to a few of these gigs. I've been, this is not my first rodeo. Here's my problem with Christian conferences, if I may, for just a moment. <clears throat> 
7,000 people sign up online. They pay $200 to go to this deal. Then they buy a plane ticket, they rent a car, they get a hotel room, and they sleep with some guy named Tom that they don't normally sleep with. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Who snores and their wife doesn't. I mean, people don't go to conferences, Christian conferences, to get like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, ho-hum, weekday kind of a deal, right? You go to a conference to sort of get like, I paid for this, you know? Like, it should be phenomenal. It should be extraordinary or extraordinary. It should be big, So you've got 7,000 people all sitting in seats waiting for what? Waiting for something big, waiting for something epic. So what do we do? Well, we put somebody up there who has this phenomenal story, this extraordinary like, boom, boom, you know, and everyone's. And then implicitly we sit there and we call this normal, right? Like this is norm. And how many of you have ever sat at a conference thinking, man, why isn't my faith like that? Why isn't my experience of God like that? Anybody ever been there? I'm the only one? No, okay, thank you. (laughs) The implicit message at events like this, and by the way, our culture is no different. The celebrities just have different names. uh, Is that this experience, whoever's up there, is normative. and, And if you or I have an experience that's less than that or different than that, then that is exactly what we are. And then the rest of us 7,000 schleps who paid good money to be here are left to navigate our guilt because that's not my experience. I'm not denying, oh, oh, wait. Also, at things like this, you get this kind of language. God is the God of the impossible. Like with Jesus, anything is possible. You could move mountains, you know? If the Holy Spirit shows up at your church, people are going to get saved. They're going to be swinging from the chandeliers. They're going to be speaking in tongues. It's going to be unbelievable. I'm not denying that these things might be true, friends. That God is the God of the impossible. That when Jesus shows up, uh, things, things change. That when the Holy Spirit is present, that there's power in that. I'm not denying any of those things are true. But what I want to say is that it's just not the norm. Right? It's not normal. Fire coming out of the sky to consume a bunch of prophets is not normal. And it leaves out what I would suggest is unbelievably important and, one of, and the majority of our life of faith. My wife said something on Christmas Eve and she totally nailed it. It's this one foot in front of the other kind of faithful following of Jesus. I don't know what's that, but I know I'm gonna take one step and put one foot in front of the other. Maybe you could say it this way. The, every, the everyday and the ordinary is where faith and relationship with God is learned and lived out. This is normal. This is real. And this is the majority and the bulk of our lives. Fire coming down from the sky is not normal. And is it any wonder in this story that when God decides to speak, it's not in an earthquake, it's not in a fire, it's not in the wind, it's not in the lights, it's not in the fog, it's not in the loud music, it's in a whisper. When God decides to speak, it's a whisper. I guess this, why do I bring that up? Just to grind an axe I've got, you know, with Christian conferences? No, probably not. Thanks for going on that with me, a little rabbit trail. But it's, I I don't think it is a rabbit trail. This morning, I want to give you permission to be, to celebrate and to be proud of the ordinary, faithful one foot in front of the other kind of faith 
that those who follow Jesus exhibit daily. And I want to properly, I want to appropriate this experience and this experience because they're important and they, they have a part in our lives, but they are not the bulk. They're not the majority. And I would suggest they're not the most important. The most important, the places, because here's what, if we don't appropriate these and recognize that's not normal, that's extraordinary, what happens is we become addicts and we have to have these hits, these experiences to think that God's up to anything in my life. If it's not up here, then it's like, well, whatever, is this the abundant life Jesus was talking about? If we don't appropriate those things and see them as they are, then we become addicts and we need that experience to think that God's up to anything in our lives. And when we don't appropriate them, we miss out on the unbelievable growth that happens here in the everyday, one foot in front of the other kind of faith. So I guess I want to just give you permission. I don't know if you've ever said something like that where, why isn't my faith like that? Or why don't I have those kinds of experiences? And I want to just give you permission to discard that question and put one foot in front of the other and follow faithfully. And know that this is where, this is where the life of faith happens. And it prepares us for these kinds of experiences, to walk through them and out of them. But they're not normal. So anybody who tells you they are is probably selling something. That's another sermon. <laughs> Does anybody like 24? You remember the show 24? Yes, yes, man, some 24, fellow 24 people. I used, to, I used to speed really, really egregiously to get home from seminary class, ironic, right? To, to catch the end of 24 when it went before we had DVR. God bless DVR. 24, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. It's like 45 minutes of just a shot of adrenaline. I love that show. I mean, it's just fantastic. It was great. Now, some people, they criticized 24. They had, they had some things to say about it. They said it was like the same show every time. I completely disagree for all <laughs> kinds of reasons that I can't go into today. But, I mean, here's their argument, right? Terrorists threaten the country. Introduce Jack Bauer. Jack's in trouble. He calls Chloe. Chloe has, a, <laughs> Chloe has a moral crisis. Jack says, I don't care. Just get it done, Chloe. The bad guys try to kill Jack. Somehow he averts death or dies and then comes back to life and lives again to do it the next season. Now, again, I, 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 get, I, I can see the perspective that this is a bit predictable, but I disagree for all kinds of reasons. The point I want to make here is if, if, in fact, there are consistencies from season to season in 24's storyline, I'll give you that. I think episode to episode, I mean, it's just like, whoa, wow, over the... But if there are consistencies from season to season, right, there's an echo, there's the same storyline echoing through 24. I want to suggest that as you read the scriptures, you'll begin to find these echoes, these things that just like a radar blip, you know, you'll hear them again and again through the course of the story. You are blessed to be a blessing. Your blessing is not for you. Genesis chapter 12, and we hear it again and again and again and again. Your blessing is for the blessing of the nations, for the blessing of the world. God's people take care of the, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the alien. That's, it just echoes again and again and again and again throughout the text. You hear it over and over and over again. And I want to suggest that you hear, in, you hear one of those echoes in the story of Elijah. And it comes right at the end. And it's really, really easy to miss or misread. And I would say it this way. You are not 
alone. Remember Elijah's journey, right? Two different times, on two separate occasions in this text, Elijah says the same thing, right? Uh, I've been zealous, excuse me, I've been zealous for the Lord. The Israelites rejected your covenant. They tore down your altars. They're trying to kill your prophets, and I am the only one left. Prophet of Yahweh challenges the king of Israel, Ahab, to the showdown, God, uh, Yahweh or Baal. Fire comes down. Jezebel threatens his life. And then this is where the story gets really interesting. If you've been following with us in this series, this story is like blinking red lights for cues that the storyteller is giving us. Let me talk about a couple of them. <clears throat> he flees to the wilderness. Does anybody remember what the word wilderness means? No, I'll tell you. In Hebrew, the, word, the, the root word is deber, and deber means to speak. Again and again and again and again in the story of the scriptures, when someone leaves and they go to the wilderness, God speaks over and over and over again. Moses, Hagar, Elijah, Jesus, okay? They go to the wilderness, Debar, to speak. They find that God speaks in the wilderness. So if you find your place in the wil- you find yourself in the wilderness and you're thinking, God, where are you? Just hang on. He's coming, okay? He goes out to the wilderness. He flees out there. And he- Elijah's given food two different times. One did you catch this? He gives, he's given food for sustenance, and he eats, and he rests. And then the next time, he's given food for a journey. I want to suggest that when, when God sustains us, the di- there's a difference between food that sustains us and food for a journey. Does anybody catch how many days he travels? Forty. I love this. The number 40, over and over and over and over again, something is dying and something is being born. Like when 40 shows up, pay attention. And, and the writer actually gives us this picture. Elijah goes into a cave, right? He's in this small enclosed space, dark most likely, as if he's been wombed or re-wombed. And something in Elijah is dying and something is being reborn. And then Elijah comes out of the cave. And what happens next? God speaks. And he says, you are not alone. There are 7,000 faithful remnant people who have not bowed a knee to Baal. You are not alone. I am with you you. And to that I might add, I am not finished with you. I don't know where you come from or what you brought through the doors this morning, but I would suggest that if this is true, if what this book reveals and who this book reveals is true, then one of the most consistent messages in the scriptures that we find over and over and over again is you are not alone. I am with you and I am not finished with you. And the question is, do you believe that? What will you do with that? There are all, if we, if we wrote down all of the regrets and all of the pain and all of the hurt that exists in this small gathering and we inserted, God is not done 
with you. However dark it may seem, however small that cave may feel, I am not done with you. As we close, um, there's all kind. Of, I've heard some. I've heard people preach, you know, Elijah and the fire and the quake and the wind and. And I thought, how do we end this? How do we? So here's what I want to do. Last week or a couple weeks ago, somebody that was last week. Somebody said, I asked, what's been like a highlight for you, being a part of Awaken? And they said, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a time of silence. And God just earth-shattering news to me. And it reminded me that uh, it's not what Ben does. It's not what I do. It's not what any of these people who make Awaken happen does. We believe that God wants to say something to you and speak to you and change you. So I would like to invite you to a time of prayer. In church history, this is called cataphatic prayer. Uh, Some of you might uh, recognize it as imaginative prayer. And it's based on this assumption. To the degree that we behold something in our mind is the degree to which we can be transformed by it. And so if we have an inaccurate picture of who or what God is, then we are transformed by that image of God. And to the degree that we change that image and it reflects the true nature of who God is, the degree to which we can be transformed by that. And so what I want to do, I want to I invite you to engage your imagination. And I want to invite you to imagine and experience this text. So just for a moment, I'm going to lead you uh, kind of as your guide. And uh, at the end of that, I'm just going to leave you uh, in silence uh, for you to hear whatever it is God might say. And uh, as that time wraps up, um, there'll be a song that's played, and, uh, and then I'll close Um, But whatever you need to do to kind of find some space for yourself, if it's bow your head, close your eyes, you know, whatever you need to do, I don't want to invite you to do that. (coughs) And if you would, just in your mind, imagine that you are on a mountain. Everything that comes with a mountain the breeze, the smell of wildflowers, the view, the work that it's taken to climb it. But there you are. And you have this sense that God is drawing you in to this cave inside of this mountain. It's beckoning you And so, you go in. And it's here that God speaks your name. What is your name? Just hear that. The God of creation who hovered over the waters says your name. And then the ground begins to shake. And 
rocks begin to tumble down this mountain, but somehow you are safe. You are held in the very hand, in the very womb, in the very heart of God. You are safe. And as the mountains crash around you, you're protected. God's not in the earthquake. And then fire comes. And it's, you can feel the warmth coming in the cave. But it doesn't come in. And again, you're safe. You're protected. You're held. And then wind, like you've never seen it. Trees cracking. God's not in the wind. And then everything dies down. And God says, come out. He says your name and he says, come out. And as you emerge, like a mother to a newborn baby, God whispers, to you. What does God say? Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.